So for Scaredy Cat and for Goodnight from Your Future Husband, um, they both got started in the same way, which is I, I wrote the first part of them, like, I don't know, like the first four pages of a Word document. And then I abandoned them for several months. And I think the result of this is a is a big tone shift because um, for both of those fics, what happened is I clearly had just written this like, you know, silly little thing very quickly. And then I came back to it when I was in like a more melancholy mood and I was like, right, it's time to get to the nuts and bolts of trauma. Um, and the result is, as you can see in Scaredy Cat, um, kind of a little truncated I think I mean I I feel that um I don't feel like it to me I don't think that the the sort of sadness of scaredy cat um, and the melancholy of, of the thick as a whole comes out of nowhere I think it finds its roots in the kind of very light-hearted first chapters um because it's already apparent in the light-hearted first chapters that Harry is like really really lonely and depressed um it's just the way in which we deal with that is um kind of funny and light-hearted um and then it becomes slowly more apparent that like it's not funny once you really get down to it and that actually ends up being kind of a theme throughout the story and maybe this is because i had just reread catch 22 um which is by joseph heller it's one of the best um war novels I think there is I mean look this is a big category for me <laughs> I think there's a lot of really good war novels but Catch-22 is fabulous and one of the things that's so good about it is that um it's about World War Two, and it's got this massive cast of characters and everyone's a bit mad and then um the first part of the book is really funny but what ends up happening is you slowly discover that all these characters who seem like kind of hilariously kookily strange actually just like have terrible trauma and that's why they're so weird and as you get to know them better everything that was funny becomes kind of horrific um so i don't know maybe that's part partly what happens in scaredy cat which is a hubristic comparison because catch 22 is like kind of a work of genius <laughs> whereas scaredy cat is not when i wrote the bolt hole with um Tepra and Idiomai, it became apparent to me that one of my great flaws is impatience because they kept being like, well, we'll, we'll, we'll write the whole thing first, obviously, before we post it. And I kept being like, listen, we have 3000 words. <laughs> Let's just get this baby up and running. And they were like, no, because listen, it might, you know, it might need improvements. And I was like, improvements, you can make improvements as you go. Uh, and that's always in fanfic then. And it's funny because in my original fic, I got over and over and over and over and I edited it to death but with fanfic I just toss up first drafts and I I think it's been a really interesting learning experience doing that um and if you are a writer I, you know I would I would I don't know I think give it a go it's kind of fun um because you get to see what people think and kind of course correct as you write um which is kind of interesting because what sometimes happens is you're like you think you've made X character really sympathetic. But then when you post that chapter, it becomes apparent that everyone in the comments like hates that character. And then you can go, oh, okay, clearly I I miscalculated. Like the execution on that didn't land. It didn't work. I need to work on making this cat like and it's also so interesting because the commenters often write like really like literary criticism style comments where they're like you know I can understand the thought process going through X character's head but I have to say and it's like so I can really really unpack how people are 
reacting to the writing as I write it. And something I did a little bit of research into was um, Charles Dickens, because I love Dickens. And Dickens, I think, is is a rare writer who wrote like like a fanfic writer in this sense, because he wrote in installments. So if you take something like um, know, David Copperfield, it would have been published over the course of over a year in like monthly installments of about three chapters at a time. And um, he hadn't written the whole book when he started publishing it, right? And so a similar thing, right? He could see oh, everyone hates this character, but I wanted them to like that character. So I need to kind of add more to make that character more appealing or whatever, right? But he was uh, much more of a planner than I am. And he would, he would like know what the twists were going to be. Whereas I, (laughs) I have this, this is my great secret. When I'm writing, um, when I'm writing a fic, which has twists in it, um, (laughs) people will make guesses in the comments as to who they think did whatever the thing is and whenever they guess anyone in the comments I'm like oh well cool not them (laughs) like it might have been sometimes I'm like oh yeah that would have been a great idea but nope (laughs) um so for instance in scaredy cat I didn't really know who had cursed Draco and then I noticed everyone had different theories but no one thought blaze and I was like all right let's chuck in blaze and it made sense to me but um if someone had guessed blaze it wouldn't have been blaze um now that I've said this if I post another fic in future with a twist, people are going to like try and blight the system by guessing unexpected people. Um, but yeah, no, I think I think it's been really fun for me to figure out um, what people can, what people predict, and like what plot points people think are going to happen. Um, it's just it's a really interesting way of learning how to plot. It's just by like <laughs> market research you know seeing what people think is a predictable plot I've spoken before about how my fics are always about Draco um and maybe (laughs) maybe this fic was in response to me realizing that and me being like god I really I don't ever spend any time on Harry because he is you know he's kind of the heart of the story right um but I also think to a large degree, I've been really interested in ensemble pieces recently. Um, I mentioned Catch Train 2. That's um, a classic example of a book that's just about so many characters. And Dickens always has so many characters. I've been reading a lot of books with a lot of characters and um, thinking about that in my original writing. And I uh, I think that Scaredy Cat became that for me, at least. I was trying to make it that for me. Um, and and it, that's kind of a fun playground um, because it's fan fanfic, so you guys know the character. Like, I don't have to do very much work to give you some information on Pansy. Like, I can kind of just play around with having a big cast of characters without having to do much of the work of actually creating a whole vivid cast of characters. Um, so it's sort of like a tricycle way of trying out an ensemble piece um but yeah what I what I wanted what I wanted to create was the effect of slowly realizing that all these characters who at first seem kind of two-dimensional are actually three-dimensional and going through very um intense stories of their own even though we're not catching like the entire story so for instance there's that moment where Draco mentions that George Weasley makes Lee Jordan take Polyjuice Potion and pretend to be Fred. And that's just like a kind of offhand line. And at the end of the story, Lee Jordan wants to talk to Harry about something. And I don't say what. And I think what I'm trying to get at is this idea that 
Like, Lee Jordan is having his own whole world of troubles that we don't have time to look at properly. But I just want to hint at the idea that that is happening, that they all are going through things. So it's not one of those stories where it's like the main pairing have the story and everyone else has their life kind of sorted out. So another thing I usually do in my stories is have Harry be a massive twat to Draco at first. And I've explained my kind of thought process on this, which is that I think that they start off on such uneven footing that unless Harry is a massive twat, um, I don't understand how they can get on to even footing. Um, that doesn't happen in this case. In fact, I think Draco behaves uh, pretty pretty badly. Although understandably, I don't think... At I don't think at any point Harry is really like baffled by what's going on. He's he's frustrated, but he's not. He's, you know, he, he doesn't seem like it, it's never. What I try to do is make it so that they were never really treating each other in a way that was really, really nasty or selfish or cruel. I don't think they're ever cruel to each other. It's always just very clear that they're both very damaged and that they're at the like for most of the fic they're at a point of damage where they can't be together but this harry i think is a little bit like in some ways he's a little bit like the, the harry from adventures of a suicidal gentleman who um both of these harrys are kind of um in some ways over the war in that like they've forgiven draco it's not a problem that's not something they have to go through really um at the beginning of scaredy cat harry is already like everyone has kind of forgiven each other mostly although it comes out in these surprising ways sometimes because I think it is really hard to forgive someone completely um and not have that not have it be so that when you're when you're angry at them about something else you remember that thing you still haven't a hundred percent forgiven them for and it's a little bit about how do you have a healthy relationship with someone who you still have just like a modicum of resentment towards and how how does resentment affect a relationship um, but yeah, we don't have any of the classic gala, you know, Harry behavior. I got a kitten that may have had some effect on this story. Just like a small effect. Kittens are really small, you guys. You can hold a kitten and they're so delicate and pure and they purr and you can just hold a kitten and um, curl it up into your chin what a thing to have, you know, in your hands, just a little ball of fur that you could just crush with your hands, but you don't because you're not a monster. But you think about it, right? Am I alone in this? No? Okay. Um, <laughs> so I think I've been, um, as Tepra said to me, I was like, maybe I should write that kitten Draco fic. And she was like, you've been thinking about writing this fic for six months, which is six years in fandom. And I was like, yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> Chris, you narrated an episode of this. How was that? It was tremendously nerve-wracking <laughs> because I felt terrible that all your lovely listeners were going to be like, who's this horrid man and why is he talking to us and doing worse Draco accents than Gala? Um, I, I think there's place in fandom for men. There should be, given that it tends to be about men. Wasn't feeling really up for it, but you stepped in like a true fanfic hero so i talked a little bit about how i um wanted it to feel like this was like kind of a ensemble piece with like a kind of fleshed out world and um one of the things i worked on therefore was these kind of background couples so for instance like 
the Dean and Seamus breakup and the Blaze and Pansy storyline. And I just kind of wanted it to feel as if, again, like you're seeing glimpses of this other narrative that we don't have time to look at wholly. Um, and I don't know if that worked or if it just kind of felt truncated and incomplete, but that was the goal. Um, to be honest, this entire story, I feel, I feel like kind of befuddled by I don't really know how I feel about it um so I can't decide whether I think it's a success or not really ultimately it's a story about war trauma and about a whole group of people who are going through a similar trauma at once which is something I've always found really interesting um because I think this is starting to change as the world becomes worse. But um, certainly as I was growing up, it always felt as if people went through tragedies by themselves, right? Like a kid at school would lose a parent and they had to then go through them that by themselves. Or like, you know, someone, one of your friends has a drug problem and they go through that by themselves or, you know, eating disorder. There wasn't really much by way of like communal misery um, because we've, we've been a society at peace. Um, and it's been interesting seeing how that starts to shift and change as terrible things happen to uh, the world at large, right? You know, if you go through a pandemic, everyone has shared communal tragedy. Um, same with terrorist attacks. I've I've noticed this. Um, so if, if you've ever lived in a city with like a proper, proper, with like a, you know, a big terrorist attack, you know that it's a really, really peculiar feeling where even if, you know, you had nothing to do with it, like no one you know was hurt, it was in a different part of town, it doesn't matter. It feels like there was a burglar in your house. Like it's really, really violating. And um, so what I remember noticing is I was really distressed after the Bataclan um, in 2015 because that was uh, Paris and I'd grown up in Paris. And um, what I noticed was... Almost everyone acted as if nothing had happened because at that point, no one, like no, none of my friends had had that experience. But people I knew from New York all reached out to me and they were all like, hey, how, you know, how are you? And I really was having a hard time, but only people who had come from a city that kind of knew what that was like um, knew to reach out. And then I remember then when you had, sorry, this is getting very bleak. You had the, the Manchester, um, bombings and I reached out to my friends from Manchester and they were like, Oh, thank you so much. No one's been reaching out. And I was like, I know it's because we were sadly slowly learning, um, about how, how this works and, and how this particular kind of, um, trauma manifests. This is all very, um, you know, peaceful country, uh, based. I understand that I have some listeners who are based in places that are um, not at peace. And I think you're going to have a really different perspective on this than I would. Um, but what am I getting at? The point is, I think communal trauma is really, really interesting. I've read a lot about um, World War One and about the way that that, you know, cataclysm affected society in Britain. Um and I've thought a lot about how there is such a big difference between losing a family member because they died in a car crash and losing a family member in a war in which everyone you know has also lost a family member. And it's like, it's so interesting to me that something that is, you know, kind of the same, right, losing a family member can have such a different texture depending on the context in which you lost them. And... Um, and I, I really do think that, at least in the West, we're only just beginning to enter into this brave new world of 
communal tragedies with kind of the with the pandemic, with the rise in terrorism, etc. Um, uh, I don't know. I, I'm sorry. I, I'm wanting to put in tons of caveats because um, everything I'm saying is is sort of revealing a lot of privilege. Obviously, if you are <laughs> black in America, you have been dealing with communal tragedy for quite some time, etc. There's lots and lots of groups that have been dealing with communal tragedy. But there's also a lot of groups that haven't. Uh, and that's that's just interesting to me, the differences between those two things. And so Scaredy, Scaredy Cat is about someone realising that what they think of as an individual tragedy is in fact a, a communal tragedy, right? Harry thinks he's just going through mental health problems, like completely alone. And then he slowly starts to realise, like, no, I'm not doing this completely alone. This is this is a, a tragedy that hit an entire community and we're all affected by it. And actually there's strength in that. And uh, I think, yeah, it's that transition from individual to community um, that he makes. Um that I found interesting in Scaredy Cat. Whether or not that worked, <laughs> I don't know. Um, but that was the aim. Sorry, that was very long-winded. I had a conversation with Shibs about colonialism and fandom where she said something that I thought was... Uh, I don't know, it stuck with me. It was so, it was something along the lines... Because we were talking... She's from Guam and she was talking about how... Um, you know, it, it's, it's strange that she feels compelled to kind of consume... Um, media that is from oppressor countries like Britain and then she said but you know on the other hand like if anyone's going to take what they want out of colonialism it should be me it should be the people who were colonized and suffered like I should be able to enjoy Harry Potter Um, and I had I I think that inspired something that Harry kind of goes through in this fic, which is that there's this point where he's just like, if anyone gets to enjoy Draco, it should be me. I'm the one who suffered from the war. Like, so I get to pick what I want to take from the war. Uh, So thank you, Shibs, for that, uh, for inspiring that little facet of Harry's personality. The episode with Shibs is called Drary and Our Collective Colonial Hangover. And I think it was um, right after the Teenage Wasteland um, episodes so do give that a listen it's really really good um yeah it's like hanging out with someone much cleverer than you it's great I think probably my favorite comment on this uh, and I can't remember who wrote it and I can't even really remember the details but it was someone who said something like I've been really depressed recently and I haven't I've been like withdrawing away from my friends and reading this fic reminded me that my friends probably would like to take care of me and be there for me so I um I've just called them and they were really nice and I feel much better and I was like that is so exactly what I wanted from this story it was so precisely what I was hoping would happen for even just one person so I was really really um moved by that because I think it is um you know one of my kind of main things on my agenda is to remind people that the the only thing we know affects happiness like beyond um you know you need to have enough money to like not be stressed out about food and shelter but after that it is just connections it is just relationships um and you know we spend all this time focusing on on things that we think will make us happy like having um you know an exciting career or being really thin or whatever but in fact the only thing that makes you happy is having good happy healthy relationships with other people that's that's it like that's a scientific fact uh, as far as we know and so um <laughs> i get kind of um snide when i think about self care because i think a lot of self care as a movement 
is it started off with such good intentions right it was like look remember some people need to say no to you know whatever it was it was good and then I got kind of co-opted by like I don't know Macy's and it would just be like self-care like cancel plans with your friends and buy a candle and it's like no that's the opposite of self-care because buying a candle is not going to make you as happy as spending time with people you love that's just ridiculous um and so and I think when you're depressed, it's really easy to forget this. And it's really easy if you haven't, especially if you haven't spoken to a friend, like, so you have a friend who you used to tell everything and you haven't told them anything for a little while. It's easy. You've got out of the habit. Um, you kind of think, oh, it's too much to download. I don't want to have to tell them everything. I want to just be able to tell them how I feel today. But the only way I can do that is if I tell them how I've been feeling for the last few months. And that's exhausting. Um, but it's worth it. You know, it is. Um, and I think that one of the side effects of depression, one of the things that makes it spiral and get worse is that you, or like even anxiety as well, you um, you stop reaching out to people and you, you self-isolate. And I'm sure that that's been made worse by the pandemic as well. Um, so, yeah, I mean, if, if the fit can make anyone at all remember to think about the people in their life and think, oh, is there anyone at all I can call? Is there anyone I can talk to and do that? Then, you know, that's that's exactly what I wanted. That's so precisely what I hoped for. I felt a little vague when I was trying to come up with similar books to this. Um, I, I mentioned Catch-22. I think that that's, um, it's got that kind of mixture of trauma and humour. Um, and it's really good. Um, it is sexist. I personally, I'm just fine with that. I, I really, I can handle a lot of sexism. Uh, but, you know, if you're if you're currently in a phase where you cannot, then maybe give that one a miss. I've also mentioned Dickens. I, uh, I think, I think the thing that's similar about Dickens, even though it's, there's really not that many similar, I mean, it's a really different vibe. Um, but what I think is similar about most Dickens novels is that Dickens and I have the same worldview, um, basically, I think. Um, not that I think we'd get on at a party. I think, uh, I think again, I think he would be like, a woman's place is in the home. Anyway, but um, he feels as I do, I think, that the world is a very sad and difficult place, but that the power of like generous love between people makes it not only endurable, but beautiful. And um, that's, I don't know, that's, I always feel kind of encouraged when I read uh, a Dickens novel because no matter how many horrible things happen at the end the characters the protagonists are never alone they always have this like found family around them um so I'm trying to think what's a good starter Dickens because um this is the weird thing about Dickens you guys okay so I remember once talking to a friend of mine who was like I don't like Dickens and I was like well what Dickens have you read and she was like I read Oliver Twist I read Great Expectations and I read Hard Times um, and I didn't like any of them. And I was like, well, yeah, that's because those were all not good. And she was like, well, I've read three Dickens novels. Therefore, I should... And I was like, nah, sorry. <laughs> he wrote quite a few ones that are just kind of just fine. Um, I think... I mean, the best Dickens novel is Bleak House. 
I haven't read all of them, but I most of us agree, us Dickens fans. Bleak House is amazing. It is, I think, 800,000 words long, so <laughs> it's a bit of a commitment. Um, every Dickens novel has 50 boring pages at some point in the novel. You don't know where it's going to come. Um, I would say a really fun one is A Tale of Two Cities, but the 50 boring pages come up top. So that's what's hard about that one. Same with David Copperfield. Really good. 50 boring pages at the beginning so you do have to slog through them um but anyway if you wanted to just kind of um get into something kind of canonical and victorian um i would say giving any of those a try nicholas nickleby is a sleeper hit you would never think right um but the plot of nicholas nickleby is basically just <laughs> nicholas nickleby loves to hit people and it's just always causing people problems like everyone's like oh no nicholas nickleby is out on the streets again he's gonna beat up someone um and his sister Kate Nickleby is like, oh no, not again. I read some of Nicholas Nickleby aloud to you, Chris. Do you remember that? It was funny. It was funny, says Chris. And he would know. He's a comedian. It's is a lot of it in how you read it. Like, would an audiobook be better? Because when oh, you read do, it, it's funny. Do you know that's a good point, actually? Uh audiobooks of Dickens might be the way forward. Um, because I think it can be easy to think he's dry when he's actually being funny. And if you listen to a, you know, a good audiobook, um, that's probably a good way around that. Um, yeah, so maybe give that a, a go. Uh, and then the, the next book I wanted to recommend, um, which I think is just beautiful, um, and sort of similarly, it's it's because of it's because of the theme of um, trauma giving way into into something m more healed and um, more human is the Color Purple by Alice Walker, which um, just a heads up, it starts off and it is so bleak. It's really really horrible for the first third, um, but by the end, it's just one of the most just. I mean, it's just so uplifting because it spans a whole lifetime and the way that the characters overcome their trauma and like heal and become better and become stronger and kinder and, and more empathetic and compassionate. It's just, it's a really generous novel um, and it's not long, but you feel like you've grown so much from reading. I, I really just loved it. I think it's got a real kind of capital R romantic um, thread through it. Um, you know, it's like a big, long Shelley poem. Um, I don't know. I just think it was, it was good. I mean, it's, it's very religious, so I wouldn't call it a Shelley poem exactly. But anyway, it's, it's very spiritual. Um, it's beautiful. I really, I, you know, I think everyone should read that book if they can. Um, there is sexual assault, um, and rape, I think at the beginning of the book. Uh, so just a heads up about that. If you wanted to read a fic that I think maybe is similar in tone to Scary Cat, um, the two that came to mind for me that were kind of like ensemble pieces about people recovering from the war were The Nightmare Club by Elle Grey. Um, I I read this when I first fell into fandom, so I, I haven't gone back and reread it, so I don't totally remember the details, I just remember the vibe. And the vibe is, I, I think from what I remember, the, the premise is um, it's eighth year, um, everyone's back at Hogwarts and they're all having night and so they make this like nightmare club in the common room where people will like it's, there's like a tea station and you kind of go down in the common room every time you have a nightmare and there's always someone else there who's also had a nightmare and you kind of like discuss and the whole year group kind of comes together through this nightmare club um 
so I think that was was really kind of heartwarming and uplifting and um nice things by ADMI uh is just so lovely it's a it's another atheistic um a whole the whole year group is kind of messed up and they're all just kind of gently sort of smoking weed and having chats and kind of getting over things together and it is just very nice um it reminds me of like a Sunday morning when all your friends slept over and you're all a bit sort of tired and shattered and you just kind of someone orders in food at some point it's just like that kind of feeling and it's I think for both of them they make you really appreciate friendship um so I think there's a there's a really lovely um fix to read uh nice things in particular I would I would almost call fluffy I think it it really is just a nice nice thick with nice things in it uh so that one's unlike unlike scaredy cat which i think is actually quite grim in places um nice things is, is a pretty easygoing one i think to read so i mentioned this um at the in the last episode i am going to be taking a break for summer i'm sure you may have noticed if you've been listening to this podcast as it comes out that i've been a bit uh sort of slacking with this um I haven't been feeling very well so I've been kind of taking weeks off etc I'm sorry about that uh hopefully I'll be feeling better pretty soon and um yeah so I'm gonna take some some months a couple of months off and then I'll be back and I haven't decided which story I'm gonna read yet um and thank you for bearing with me I really appreciate it and I hope you enjoyed the bonus episode don't forget you can follow me on Instagram at let them eat books with underscores instead of spaces. And you can also join my newsletter, which is um, at newsletter.gallopod.com. Thank you everyone for listening. Have a wonderful summer or, you know, winter time, wherever you are. Uh, and I'll see you in a few months.